Father, we pray now that you would open our eyes so we can understand these words here clearly. We can see what you're saying. We can see not merely what these things meant when they were first said so many years ago, but what they mean now in the light of Christ in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I read that uh, reading, which I will do in a moment, uh, let me ask you this. How do you most often respond when things go wrong, to adversity, to suffering? I think you can divide our responses into into three main categories. When uh, suffering comes, when disaster strikes, when pain overcomes us, broadly speaking, we do one of these three things. First, we might engage what do we mean by that? Well, if, you, if you've ever had to look after a young child for any length of time, uh, you may well have come across uh, the little book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Familiar? Well, uh, the refrain goes like this. We can't go under it. We can't go over it. We can't go round it. Oh, no! We'll have to go through it. There you go. We have to go through it. And that is what is happening when we engage with the problem. Let's fix it, let's sort it, let's throw money and time at it till it's solved. Let's grit our teeth, let's get our heads down, let's endure until it's over. Okay, well for some of us though, we don't engage when trouble comes. We prefer to disengage in those times. Find a distraction. You know, my life and in fact the whole world are full of intractable problems that I cannot possibly begin to solve. But there's a new series on Netflix that everyone's talking about. I'll I'll, I'll watch that. I'll check out that new restaurant. I'll have another drink. If you screw up your eyes tight enough and you block your ears, it's just about possible to convince yourself on a good day that, you know, the problem isn't really there. And maybe if we do that for long enough, we think it might just go away. So engage, disengage, and then get enraged. This is not fair. It is not right. It shouldn't be happening to someone like me or someone like her or someone like him. And it makes me hopping mad. And I pace around in anger looking for something or someone to blame for this omni-shambles of a crisis. And if I can't find a human being to blame... I will blame God instead. And once I've done that, I'll throw in a dollop of full-blown despair for good measure. Well, which of these do you identify with the most? We we are, of course, beginning to emerge, beginning to emerge from a very significant period of adversity and difficulty. And in many ways, of course, we know it, it isn't really over. It may carry on in different forms. But which of these has most characterized your response to COVID, do you think? If I'm honest, I think I've seen all three forms going on in myself at different times. Maybe you have two, you know, to begin with. Come on, let's do this. Let's get online. Let's do online church. Then, oh, right, okay, this is going to go on rather longer than the three weeks that Boris suggested at the start. Right, okay, well, Netflix, Amazon, Deliveroo, online wine merchants, they all did rather well at that point. And 18 months on, now we're aware of the huge and increasing mental health crisis brought on by months of isolation and lack of routines and lack of contact with others and everything else that goes with it. Well, given all this, 
Why Joel then? Well, Joel is a short book of prophecy that begins with a huge crisis for God's people that is affecting everything. It is a calamity. It is a plague, but not of disease, a plague of locusts. And they have endured immense destruction from this horrendous plague of locusts. And Joel preaches to them in the light of that. So I wanted to give that kind of introduction because sometimes when we come to books like this and we hear it and we read it, we think, what on earth's going on? Why are, we, why are we looking at this? Okay, now we've got a bit of context, a bit of where we're going as we think about us. And here's a question to have as we listen, okay, and as we read. As we listen to this, what does Joel want his hearers to do? Listen out for all the commands he gives them. See how many you can hear. Okay, so let's, let's go uh, back to the, let's get back to page 912. Just there it is again, Joel 1, 1 to 2, 11. Page 912, I'm going to read it now. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the
turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defences without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we don't know much about Joel. Unlike some of the other prophets, we can't tie this book down to a particular time and place very easily. It appears to be written to uh, Jerusalem before Jerusalem gets taken into exile. There's sort of talk of Jerusalem later in the book. But that is all we can say, about all we can say. But what we can say is that Joel wants his readers first of all, to wake up to reality. Wake up to reality. Hear this, you elders. Listen. Has anything like this ever happened? Tell it to your children. So this this calamity of locusts is an event like maybe 9-11 or the death of Princess Diana. It's an event where you can remember where you were when you heard about it, when you saw it on the news, or even if you were somehow involved and caught up in it. It's an event that if you weren't there or weren't born, you may well have heard about. The Second World War was a bit like that. So long before I was born, and and even before my parents, my grandparents lived in North London during the Blitz in 1940. And I, I remember my grandmother describing to me the day that they bombed the docks in the East End. That day, the Germans dropped 337 tonnes of bombs on London. And she said they looked out of the window from their house in Enfield and the sky had turned red. Now, that is an event that you tell your children and the next generation. Do you see? And it's something like that here with the locusts. In in Exodus, God's people are told to tell tell their children's children about the great rescue that God had brought about. They were told to tell their children's children about the plague of locusts that came on Pharaoh, God's enemy. Tell your children's children of what happened to God's enemies. But now, tell your children's children of how that same thing has happened to you. So verse 4, the, what the locust swarm has left and so on, the great locusts have eaten. Whether these are four types of locusts or four different stages of locusts as they grow, we don't really know. But the point is they have devastated everything. Now, we don't, I don't think we really have locusts in the UK. We have grasshoppers, but they're rather different. Locusts are fearsome and they get everywhere. It is said that a single female locust can lay her eggs in June 
And by November, she will have 18 million living descendants. It's quite something, isn't it? A single swarm of locusts can contain up to 10 billion individuals and cover hundreds of square miles. You see, and once they get going, and you may have seen, you know, you can go on YouTube and see videos of these things, they eat everything and they destroy everything in the process. So Joel describes them as being like an army, verse 6. He, he does appear, though, to literally mean locusts. He's not sort of talking about an army at this point. We'll see that changes a bit later. But he's talking about locusts and the way that, as he describes their teeth and the way they strip everything bare, they destroy everything. So what is his message in the light of this dreadful calamity? Well, verse 5, wake up. Now, why do they need waking up? You know, when there's a thunderstorm outside, you don't need to consult your weather app to tell you that it's raining. You just know that it's raining. Just look out of the window. But Joel is telling them because they're asleep. They're doing the disengage response to the crisis. <clears throat> you know, they've gone to the pub, they've had a few drinks, they're in denial. He says, wake up, you drunkards, wake up to what's going on. It is total destruction. And then remember we said, look for the commands. Well, verse 8, mourn like a virgin <clears throat> in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. There was a generation of uh, women, in particular, in this country who married men in the First and Second World Wars, who within a few months or a couple of years had been killed, widowed at 21 or 22 or something like that, perhaps with a young baby. Many remained widows for the rest of their lives. That is the kind of grief that he describes here in verse 8. It's tragic. It's devastatingly sad. And then verses 9 and 10. If the fields are destroyed, then first of all, no one can eat because the ground is dried up. And then on top of that, you see, worship is stopped as well. Empty supermarket shelves. The worship of God's people disrupted. Is this ringing any bells at this point? Despair, verse 11, there is no joy here. There is only the misery of those who have always found security and safety in their work. They've always had enough to live on. Now their livelihoods are threatened. Their jobs are gone. There's no more food, verses 16 to 20. And then in the middle there, verses 13 to 15, gives the appropriate response. It's not engage, you know, crack on, head down. We can get through this. We can sort this if we try hard enough. We can fix it. It's not disengage, ignore it and hope it will go away. It's not getting enraged and blaming anyone and everyone. It is mourning and lamenting. Gather, pray, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Wake up to reality. Now, there are lots of responses we might have given to COVID and lots of responses to other hard things that go on in our lives, bereavements, job worries, family problems. But will we allow ourselves and others first to mourn 
and lament because this is not how things are meant to be. The Psalms are a great model of lament for us. They give us the words to say, how long, O Lord? How long have you forgotten us? And lament is different from a moan or a grumble because lament is always addressed to God, not about God to others, but to God, humbly but directly. Lord, this hurts. This hurts. Please help me. We can shy away from that sometimes. We can think we're not allowed to do that. Well, the psalmists do it. Joel commands it. Wake up and weep. Wake up and weep at the pandemic and its effects on our world. You know, not just on us and our lives here in in relatively wealthy or very wealthy London. Wake up and see its effects on the two-thirds world, the majority world, the worldwide church, only just beginning to deal with it. And no access to the things that might help them that have helped us here. Wake up to the effects on our relationships with one another, on our willingness and ability and energy to keep going and keep serving and keep loving. We feel beyond ourselves. So often the, the locusts have come and they've eaten it all. Wake up to reality. But then realize, Joel wants us to hear something that's not easy to hear. He says, well, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So let's see what he means. Secondly, face up to the future. That's going to be verses 1 to 11, chapter 2. After that verse 14 in chapter 1, as he says, cry out to the Lord, you, you might expect some, you know, chink of light. Cry out to the Lord and he will relieve you of your pain and everything will get back to normal and feel better again. But no, verse 15, alas for that day. Not this day now, he's been talking about this day now so far, this day of the locusts. But that day, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Now, it's not what we think suffering people need to hear. It's not what we think we want to hear. But it's what Joel thinks we need to hear. That The, the day that he's talking about then gets expanded in those first 11 verses of chapter 2. Verse 1, the day of the Lord is coming. Verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. In chapter 1, we heard of locusts who were like an army. Now in chapter 2, we seem to switch to an army which is like locusts. And so this army comes and undoes creation. Verse 3, as they advance in front of them is a garden like Eden, but behind them a desert waste. You see creation itself being undone horses verse 4 chariots verse 5 they charge they march they plunge through defenses they rush upon the city they're running along the wall they're climbing into houses like thieves through windows verse 11 if we're in doubt as to whether this is more locusts or, or, or an army the lord thunders at the head of his army his forces 
are beyond number and mighty is the army that obeys his command this army is God's he has sent it he has sent it for his day his day of the Lord he has sent it for judgment so things are going to get worse the day of the Lord is great he says it is dreadful who can endure it and maybe we're starting to think well you know I'm not sure I like this guy Joel you know he's a bit Old Testament isn't he Well, in our first reading, we heard Jesus himself apply exactly the same logic to those who come and ask him about a calamity, a disaster, a kind of day of locusts that has taken place in their day, in Jesus' day. Remember those Galileans who were killed and Pilate mixed their blood with the sacrifices they were making? We don't know precisely what that refers to, but presumably these Galileans were killed in the temple and this was a particularly dreadful and vindictive thing to do to them. Did it happen because they were particularly bad sinners? That's the question. And then there's this example also of the tower that collapsed. Is that because these people it collapsed on were particularly bad sinners, worse than everyone else? Is that why they suffered such a horrible fate? And Jesus says, no. No, it's not because of that. And then comes the sting. Unless you repent you too will all perish. Do you see? In other words, this was their day of locusts, their day of calamity, their plague. But they needed to realise a a day of judgment, the day of the Lord is coming, and if they don't repent and turn back to God before then, they too will perish. Do you see? Now Jesus is careful. He doesn't say... He says the opposite, in fact. He does not say that the suffering people experience is a direct result of the individual sin in our own lives. That is not what he says. And Joel, again, isn't saying that either. In fact, unlike some of the other prophets, Joel does not single out any particular sin in the lives of the people that he's talking to. You know, you've been unfaithful, you've been worshipping other gods, that's why this disaster has come on you, so repent. That's not what he's saying, he's just saying, here is a day of locusts, here is a day of suffering. Learn its lessons, because suffering comes in a fallen world. It comes to all of us. It comes sometimes seemingly randomly, without particular reason. And as C.S. Lewis put it, he picked up on this theme and he put it like this. Suffering is God's megaphone to a deaf world. He's saying every time we suffer some great or small calamity, and especially when it's not due to some obvious sin, or something, you know, some, sometimes you know, we sin and it leads to, to, to suffering, but this is talking about all the other cases where that's not obvious, and there's many of them, should make us realise The world is not meant to be like this. It's messed up because of the sin of every human being. It's broken, it's fallen, it's full of pain. So first, wake up and lament and cry out to God. And then realise, this is a reminder. One day God will judge the world. The day of the Lord will come. He will put everything right. 
But that will involve putting me right and putting you right. And that will be devastating if we're not ready for it. So are we ready for that day? I don't think we naturally think of suffering like this, that part of its design is to wake us up to the reality of this world. You know, whether we're talking big, significant, visibly painful suffering, like COVID and all its effects, whether we're, we're, we're dealing with those, you know, big, horrible questions like we've had to think about this week in the news about, you know, whether can you trust a lone, plainclothes policeman at night? You know, are these things that go on in our world, are they just a sort of anomaly in a world that by rights ought to be, you know, peaceful and happy? If we can just find the right tweak, the right policy, the right fix to make everything better. Well, Joel and Jesus say, well, actually, they are a reminder that the world is messed up. And there is a day of the Lord to come. It's the same with, you know, the more personal, hidden suffering that no one else sees. Or even those day-to-day -day setbacks that discourage us and infuriate us when the car and the washing machine and the computer and the dog all break down at once. Big or small, they are all signs, again, that the world is messed up. They can all be a day of locusts, sucking all our resources from us. Joel and Jesus say... They're a reminder that there is a day of the Lord to come. So let's think about COVID then in particular. Have we taken on board that lesson for ourselves? Are we still trying to persevere with just engaging to just fix it and get through it? Or, or, or disengaging and waiting till it all goes away and we can stop all this nonsense? Or, or getting enraged at the madness and the chaos and the panic buying? Are we simply doing some combination of all those things or are we listening to Joel and Jesus as they point us to reality about the future COVID like everything else is a sign that the world is messed up COVID is a sign that one day God will judge the world and forget the pain of lockdowns or job worries or family feuds that day will be a day of reckoning like no other with nowhere to hide Nowhere to take refuge, nowhere to find security. On that day, no vaccine will save us. No insurance policy will cover us. No bank balance will pay the cost for us. No health service will protect us. Well, what then can we do in the light of that? Finally, briefly, we look back to the cross. The rest of the book of Joel is, is a lot more positive in tone. So do come back and bear with him and hear his message. But even in these verses that we've heard, there is hope. Because in an important sense, this day of the Lord that he warned about, that would put even the day of the locusts in perspective, well, actually that day, in an important sense, has already happened. See, there has already been a day of darkness and gloom, of clouds and blackness, a day where total 
distraction fell, a day of tragic grief and despair, a day when the sun and moon were darkened, the stars no longer shone, a day of unspeakable horror as Jesus bore the full weight of the judgment we deserve on the day of the Lord. He bore it on himself. And that is where we need to turn in the face of adversity, in the face of whatever suffering we may face now. If we try and engage and fix and get through it, we will fail in the end because the day of the Lord will still come. If we, if we try to disengage and deny with an endless series of amusing distractions and one more box set and one more drink and one more deal and one more promotion, the day of the Lord will still come. If we simply throw up our hands and get enraged till we've alienated everyone around us with our anger, the day of the Lord will still come. So instead, wake up to reality, lament, cry out to God, face up to the future, be ready, be warned, and then look back to the cross and see there is, after all, a Saviour who died for you and for me. And so cry out to him and take refuge in him.